do this. Um, I think it's I think it's worth our time and effort. Um, we have a, a bunch of phenomenal musicians that show up week in and week out just to serve us by leading us in worship, not as a praise to them, but just as a, a, a just as gratitude to them. Can we just give it up for them and just all that they do? Amazing group of musicians. I love them, and they're uh, we're really blessed here. I don't know if you know that, but for a small church, a church that's growing, we're blessed to have the musicianships that we do. So thank you. And also, we never give it up for our, our sound and our light crew back in the back. You guys just give it up for them, too. Just tirelessly work. We're appreciative of that. Thank you. It's great to see all of you. Are you ready to go tonight? Open your scriptures to Luke chapter 14. We have a lot to celebrate tonight. First of all, um, I've heard from Laos... Um, for those of you guys that don't know, we have um, adopted an unreached people group in a village called Punsuan, Laos. It's in northeastern Laos, 9,000 miles away. In 2006, in the spring, a group of eight of us traveled over there, smuggled some Bibles. Really cool story. The people group there is called the Lao Puan. Uh, the, the, the missionaries there that we love and support are named Lloyd and Darlene. Lloyd and Darlene are actually in Canada here for a short stint. I got a word from Lloyd a couple days ago, and he said this. I said, if you were to tell Matthias' lot anything this Wednesday night, what would you tell him? And he said, to tell you guys this, to be praying because there are people in an unreached people group that are coming to know Jesus. And he said, he said, there are so many others that are close, but he said, Mark, it's as if a revival is happening right now in this village of Punsuan. People are coming into this building, they're hearing about Christ through a vocational center, and they're leaving changed, and underground churches are starting. I mean, it's, it's starting to get crazy. Last fall, we spent an entire month fasting and praying. I just want to take a moment tonight and say that God answers prayers, that He's moving in lands that seem improbable, simply because He's chosen to, my friends, and that for us tonight is read to celebrate. Amen. So can we just give it up for that? It's incredible. Yeah. We're going to keep you all updated on that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of future stuff happening in Laos. Uh, hopefully some future trips coming up soon and all kinds of other stuff. And so if you're desirous of smuggling Bibles across the communist border and traveling 9,000 miles, it took us 52, uh, 54 hours, go ahead and sign up. We'd love to take you. All right? You guys there in Luke chapter uh, 14, we have a great reason to celebrate as well tonight, simply because we get to study God's Word, which in my opinion is worth celebrating in and of itself. We are picking up tonight where Jason left off last week, and so we have to set the table and the, and the story because uh, we ended last week not mid-story, but kind of at a break in the story. You remember that Jesus walks into the house of Pharisees, and, and this table, this banquet is set. Now, as Jason taught, uh, the banquet table in ancient days would have been U-shaped, but work with me. Uh, so they come into this banquet table, and there's a man with dropsy there, and you know, some of you remember the picture that, um, that, that Jason showed last week. And it's on the Sabbath, which is another time in Luke that we see Jesus purposefully healing on the Sabbath to show freedom. But Jesus spends the whole end of the teaching talking about which place of the table that they should choose. And you remember that Jason gave this analogy about the wedding, that we would never walk up from like sitting in the back of the wedding and sit at the head table, right? Because the, the best man would come in and humiliate us by asking us to go sit down. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. Don't take the place of honor. Take the lowest place. And he ended in verse 11. Say, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So it's the exact same scenario as last week. Jesus is still in the house of the Pharisees. They're still amidst a conversation. And it's, it's as if this, this moment is escalating a little bit. So we'll, per, we'll start here in verse 12. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, 
Do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. And don't you love that so far in this story, he's been talking to the group as a whole, all of the Pharisees or everyone that was here that night, but all of a sudden he turns to the host. Now I know this will be difficult for some of you to see, but, but all of a sudden, like let's say Jesus was sitting here, here and the host was here, he turns all of his attention like right here, right now. It's if to say, what I have to tell you as the host, as the man responsible for gathering all these people, as the man responsible for, par- for preparing the food, as the man responsible for this evening, I have something to teach you. Uh, when you do a luncheon or dinner, you need not invite those who are your closest relatives or your friends because they will repay you. And we all know what this looks like. What he's saying is, and this is a concept we talked about about three months ago, don't invite the haves, he's saying. A, couple, a few months ago, we talked about two groups of people, that if we were to break down people in this world into two very general groups of people, we would say there are those that have, and there are those that have not. Many of us struggle with the, with the judgmental checklist in our mind, that whenever we see a, a, a new person, or whenever we see somebody, we instantly go through like 30 checklists. They look like this, they have this, they smell that. And if they pass these particular checklists, then they'll like get in and become a have for us. Jesus says, don't invite the haves, because they'll repay you. And, and it makes sense, doesn't it? It's easy, isn't it? To sit at a, di- at a dinner, right? You're eating some fried chicken, and you invite like all of your best friends. It's easy, right? Because a, a, like a dinner is intimate. You, you see, like you're all gathered around, and when it's your closest friends or your relatives, at least most of your relatives, right? I don't want to make any assumptions here. Like some of your relative dinner tables aren't that good. You know what I mean? I realize that. It's like awkward silence after awkward silence, right? But at most dinners with your best friends, it's intimate, and the conversation is natural, and it flows. And you leave smiling, you leave encouraged, you leave blessed because of the time. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus isn't saying that we should just wipe those relationships out, right? He's not saying that that, that, is not, that, that that doesn't have its place. He's saying it's good, but He's saying that there's something better. Look at verse 13. It says this, But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says, don't invite the haves to your dinner table, because they can repay you, they can give back. Invite the have-nots, because they have nothing to give back. There's no status that you'll gain. There's no Christian car dealer hookup that you'll gain from having them. There, there, there's no, you know, and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, the Christian hookup, that if we just tell other Christians that we're a Christian, that all of a sudden they're going to write us a check for 100000 right? Because we've got the Christian thing going, you know what I mean? Let's work this, brother. Come on, let's do this. We can cut a deal. Jesus says you need to invite the have-nots because they have nothing to repay you. Now, uh, uh, this seems like a pipe dream, doesn't it? I need to ask a very poignant question of all of you. We've been studying Luke for a year, okay? Seems, seems like a long time, right? We still have a while to go, all right, to strap on your seatbelt, you know what I mean? Like we may be here in 2012, we're not sure yet, right? We've been studying Luke a year, and if you listen at all to the words of Jesus, which we should be doing, you'll notice a consistent message. He continually 
is talking about the fact that He's come to teach and to preach about the Kingdom of God. And He keeps showing consistently from day one of Jesus' ministry that He will be about the outcasts. That He will love the social the, the, the people that are on the social out, outcast, that He will be about those who no one else is about. He keeps showing us that to follow Him means that we are going to love the have-nots. For a year we've been hearing this message. A year. Over and over and over. The, the poor, the, the, the lame, the crippled, that keeps going in our mind over and over and over. So I ask you, why hasn't it changed your life yet? Why is it just some cool thing that we've learned how to say? Why is it just some acronym that will make a great bracelet or a phrase that will make a phenomenal t-shirt? Here, we're all about loving the hurting and the lost and the confused. We want to love the have-nots. We want to be a part of relationships of the poor and of the hurting in St. Charles County. Let's be clear. How many of you have invited one of these individuals into your home in the last year? Not by raise of hand. How, why hasn't this become life yet? We go to Second Saturday. Phenomenal opportunity. But how many of you have invited Juanita into your home when it's not a Second Saturday? Anyone? Phenomenal opportunity to meet somebody. But how many of you have said, you know what, here's the deal, I'm going to come pick you up, or we're going to figure out, or I'm going to bring you dinner on a day that's not Second Saturday? You see, over and over and over, we keep hearing this message from Jesus that He desires us to not love the haves, and, well, to, excuse me, to love the haves, but to invite the have-nots to our dinner table. Imagine a dinner table where like right here is this person that I just met on the street literally an hour ago. And right here is their friend that I just met because he brought her. And here's my wife. And we're all sitting down at the table. And all of a sudden, everything changes. These people have nothing to offer me. I may have to engage them more than I've ever engaged anyone. I may have to sit and work through the hurt and the pain of this conversation. And friends, isn't it beautiful that Jesus uses purposefully here the image of a dinner? Because it's intimate, isn't it? Look at this. Imagine it right here. We're on the same level, sitting at chairs that have the same height, looking at one another in the eye. And for a few brief moments, the have-nots, as Jesus calls them here, the, those who socially have been outcasted, have this incredible amount of worth, not found in us, but found in the love that has been poured out to them because He gave love. Can I ask, why hasn't this become life yet? Are you confused? Do, do you want me to go through Luke 1 to Luke 14 again so that you can see this message over and over? Would that be helpful? Or can we just take each other's word for it that it's there? Why hasn't it become life yet? You've got a lot of excuses, don't you? Like me? We, we've got a lot of them, right? It begins with repayments. Ultimately, we do most things in our life because we're going to get something back. I was teaching uh, uh, at a church last week, and I was talking about the biblical gospel and the cultural gospel. And one of the big things that I hit on in this particular church was the fact that we see culturally Jesus as a commodity and not as Lord. 
When you see Jesus as Lord, then it puts you on the same plane as everyone else. Sinner in desperate need of grace. And so it doesn't become an us and them scenario. It becomes an us and Him scenario. We're depraved, desperate, and He is good and righteous. He's a commodity, not some, or he's not a commodity. He's a, he's a Lord of our life, one calling us to Himself. But 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 we we struggle with that, don't we? Because our entire life becomes about repayment. Now, I want to take this a step further. As Christians, it almost becomes more not about repayment, but about having a leg up on the next person. Let me explain what I mean. My wife comes home from work. And I decide that day after work that I'm going to spend seven days making her like the best dinner ever, right? I mean, she's going to come in. I'm going to have, some of you guys have had my chicken Monterey. I'm going to make chicken Monterey and potato skins like every night, you know what I mean? Mash, I'm, we're, we're just going to do it right every single night. When I come home, I'm going to go and I'm going to open the fridge and I'm going to go cook my wife dinner, right? And every night before we go to bed, I'm going to give her a back rub like I know she loves, right? And every single, I'm I'm going to spend time looking at her in the eye and we're going to converse. And I'm going to make sure that for seven days straight, she knows that I love her, she knows that I care for her. And I've done this. Two days after those seven days, I get lazy and we get in an argument. And she comes at me and you know what comes out of my mouth? Honey, I spent the last seven days serving you. That entire seven days was about having a leg up so that when the time was right, I could say to her, Babe, are you kidding me? We're having this argument right now? I'm at a higher plane than you. I've spent the last seven days serving you and loving you. So you're going to have the audacity to come at me right now and tell me to fold my laundry? Excuse me? Yeah. I mean, how much of a punk am I? How much of a punk are you? We give somebody $20 to help them out with gas. And then the next time we interact, there is this image that captures our mind that they owe us something, that we're deserving something, that we have a leg up on them. And instantly what what, 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 what is created is the status level even under the cross. That, that even despite the cross, there's still some Christian status level. Do you see the danger in that? And so then our entire existence becomes serving. We can even sit down at the dinner table and I can have every poor person I know, every homeless person, every crippled, every lame, and be in sin. Do you guys understand that? I can open, the, I mean, I can make this banquet table at my living room, go from side to side, we can pack them in. And I could be in sin. Because this entire meal is about the fact that I can have a leg up and then I can share with somebody, hey, 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 guess what I did at my house? You'd never believe it. There were 30 homeless people there. Really, Mark? Oh, yeah. Wow, Mark, you're a phenomenal pastor. I know. Thank you. You know what I mean? (laughs) What kind of idiotic, prideful arrogance is that? Friends, how many of you are stuck right there? This meal for you right now would honestly be about having a leg up. That mentally you're like earning something from Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what do you think now? Right? That's, that's going to give me some more crowns. You're misinterpreting the cross. His grace is sufficient, like Jeff shared, for everyone who believe and understand. But there's more excuses. I don't know any homeless people. That's what many of you would say. 
I don't really know any of these people that Jesus continues to talk about. Okay, you want to have that discussion, shall we? Have you placed yourself in positions to know those people? Because I'll tell you right now, there are a ridiculous amount of home, amazing homeless people right down the street from here. They're all over. I mean, they're, they're all over. Have you been to a second Saturday to meet a widow? They're right there. You're like, but well, I don't know anyone. Oh, really? Have you been to second Saturday? Have you been to a community love event when we set up as a church an opportunity for people to come so that we can love on this community? Have you been? You're like, well, yeah, 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 but, but are you... Come on, Mark, I'm, I'm 18, 19 years old. Okay, I can never... Which leads to our next excuse, you don't have any time. Oh, boy. Think of the things that are packing your schedule, making you just mentally and physically drained. It's not that you don't have time for the hurting, the lost, and the confused. You don't have time for anything except yourself. We're, listen to this. We're, I'm watching a culture put our kids, Christian culture, put our kids in sports so that they can be an athlete. Instead of me teaching Avery that when she plays soccer, it's an extension of her walk with Christ, and that is her mission field. Then let's talk about time. Then let's talk about the teaching opportunities that you have with your kids to show them that every kid that they're ever around, they should be praying over and loving and extending the hand of grace to. Instead, we're just like, you know what? To fit in with the culture, we need to do it all. We need to do it all. So here, just do this and do that, and we're just going to pack our schedule so we're running crazy. College students, you're in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. We don't have time, friends. Is the message clear or not? Like, I think we have a completely bunk system of priorities, wouldn't you say? If he says that we should have a banquet and a luncheon or a dinner where we invite those who have not so that they have nothing to give us back, then why, oh why, aren't we doing it? Because the list of excuses is great, but Christ and His power is greater. Are you ready to surrender your, your time and your dollars and the awkward moments that you'll encounter while sitting at this chair? Because I guarantee you there will be some. Because you'll ask this person, so tell me your life story. And they'll say, you really want to know? JC and I have endless stories after stories of people who have journeyed to our office, cutting people's hair, having conversations. I mean, it, it gets unbelievable if you just ask. Jesus says... Invite not the haves, but the have-nots. Now, put this in the back of your mind because this is going to have phenomenal implications to what Jesus continues to share. Let's move on. Verse 15, when, and this is absolutely hilarious. When one of those at the table with, uh, with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. We've got random McGee who has been listening to Jesus rip the Pharisees. And then it's like he wasn't even listening. He's just like, yeah, that's a good one. And he, it's like he raises his glass and he's like, yeah, that's great. Blessed is he who's going to be... And just, 
Like Jesus has just ripped him. You know what I mean? He's just told them all. Like they're sinning and in prideful arrogance. And this guy's like, yeah, blessed is the... You know what I mean? They're all like cheering and high-fiving. And it's going to get dicey here in a second. But here's the ironic and interesting thing about this passage. Is that in Revelation chapter 19, 19, when it's talking about the great messianic banquet, which this entire parable is allusion to the messianic banquet. Let me explain. The Messiah is Jesus. The Israelite nation, the Jews have been waiting on the Messiah to come. We keep seeing over and over and over, the Pharisees don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, which is clearly the tension in the story, okay? But over and over and over, Jesus keeps saying, I am the Messiah. He's about to give a parable that's going to give allusion, like Isaiah chapter 25, verse 9 did, to the Messianic banquet. When? In Revelation 19. The bride would reunite with the bridegroom, Jesus. And they would dine together. And you'll remember a couple weeks ago, I shared that Jesus, at the end of Luke, when talking about uh, the Last Supper, He said, I will not eat of this again until the end when we will feast again. He's giving allusion to the Messianic banquet. All through the Old Testament and even earlier in Matthew chapter 8, we see this allusion that there will be a great banquet. And this same verse that this Pharisee just said is written in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Blessed is he who eats in the feast of the kingdom of God. So you know, if Random McGee makes a comment like that, surely Jesus is going to have something to say about it, isn't he? Well, he's got some red letters here after this. Let's look at this. Verse 16, Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for now everything is ready. Now, different from today's day and age, now we have cell phones, okay, and text messages, and emails. Can you, you remember when we didn't used to have cell phones? We actually had to plan. Do you remember that? Do you remember what that looked like? Hey, hey, so uh, like three days in advance, it was, we're going to have dinner at 7, and here, I'm going to give you directions. We don't have MapQuest, so write it out. You know, we're like writing maps. Now we're literally calling people on the way, you know. Do you need directions? No, I'll just call you when I'm like five minutes out. Okay, sweet, you know what I mean? Things have completely changed. Just like in this day, right? The, the servants would go out and they would invite people to come to the banquet. Hey, you want to come? Is it going to be cool? Yeah, yeah, it'll be cool. Lots of food. We're going to eat some. And they would RSVP, like an ancient RSVP. They would say like, yeah, yeah, we'll come. And then the day of the banquet, because no one has watches, all right? They may have like some really cool sundials, okay, but there's no watches. The servant would go out again and say, hey, the food's ready. Like, it's time. Come on, come on in, everybody. Most of the time it was at night, but sometimes it wasn't. So you would literally, like, mark off an evening. You would not know the time the servant would come and invite you. And so the servant has gone out. Some people have RSVP'd, and now the servant has returned for the second time. He said, hey, the food's ready. You ready to go? Uh, when you guys were kids, did your mom let you know that the food was ready? Like, when I was in my neighborhood, um, many of you guys know I lived a crazy childhood. I was the crazy neighborhood's fast kid, okay? And, um... Like we had this whistle that my mom would blow when the food was ready. There would be times, did some of you guys, some of you moms have that? There would be times I'd literally be like three, three miles away, like on my BMX, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, I'd, hold, hold, hold on guys. And I, he would hear that whistle. She had, I mean, she had to be, I mean, just giving that thing its all, you know what I mean? I mean, literally, oh, anyway, sorry. I enjoy that story, obviously, more than you do. Verse, uh, verse 18 says this. But they all alike began to make, what's, what's the word there in the scriptures? Excuses. 
The first said, I've just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. I love the word please there. So proper. Another, um, another said, I've just brought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. First guy, invited to the banquet, was supposed to be sitting in this seat. Right here. See this? And he said, you know what? I know that I've RSVP'd, and no one likes an RSVP'er that doesn't show, right? I know I've RSVP'd, but I bought a field. I know it sounds significant and all, and and so I'm not going to be able to show tonight. Funny thing about anyone who buys a field, any of you guys... This will relate to none of us. Perfect. Brian, you kind of bought something that's big in, in the wilderness. All right? Now, if you're going to buy a big field, I'm pretty sure that you're going to look at it before you buy it. So it's not just that this guy RSVP'd and now is not showing. He's probably making something up. Yeah, yeah, I bought a field, but i got to go see it. And most banquets are at night. Like, are you going to take your floodlights out there and plug them into the tractor? You know what I mean? Like, what are you talking about? You're going to go out with, I mean, what, with the moon and, like, look at the dirt? This guy says, my dirt is more important than sitting at the banquet and in Jesus' story than Jesus himself. What I make of myself, the things that I earn for myself, the ways that I'm advancing my property and advancing my investments, my dirt is more important than sitting at your table, Jesus. The next guy, who's supposed to be sitting in this seat right here, says, yeah, 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 I bet the dinner's going to be fun, but uh, I just bought five yoke of oxen. And I need to go try him out, you know? I'm not even sure, like, how that looks, right? Does it turn into a rodeo? Like, how do you, you know? Like, come on, oxen, let's get going, you know? Like, what, what does that even look like? And again, it's probably at night, you know? So what is, this guy's saying the, almost the exact same thing. You would look at the oxen before you bought them. And he's given the illusion here that he hasn't looked at them, and then he needs to go try them out first. How many of you would have the audacity to tell Jesus, I know you've invited me and it's great and I appreciate it, but my things that I have here in this world are more important. Saying it like that, doesn't it seem like ridiculous? It does, doesn't it? You're like, well, I would never say that. That would never come off my lips or my heart. Really? The things that you can touch and see, the things that give you value and worth, Friends were daily saying, Jesus, like, the cravings of this world feed me so much more than you. Can you imagine how ridiculous that is? He's connecting here with the Jewish nation, showing them how the Jewish nation has responded to himself. But I think that we can find ourselves here. The last guy, for you married couples in here, like, you females are like, that's a completely legitimate excuse, you know? He's married, leave him alone. You know what I mean? And, and I'll go ahead and give you a little bit of, you know, like it's probable that he may have been referring to a back in Deuteronomy, if there was a wartime and you got married, you would get a year that you 
got to skip out of the war. Okay? So he's maybe carrying this over, but a female. So how many of you got married, like you met a guy, you got engaged, and between your engagement and your wedding, there was like, let's say, three days. Any of you guys here? I know Jason was close, right? But how many of you guys here? How long actually was it, bro? Like six months? Yeah, close. Three days, six months. Divisible by the same number, right? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. A Jewish wedding, a Jewish wedding, it would last seven days. Our weddings last three hours and take a year and like 30K to plan. All right? Right? Convicting anyone? Yeah, me too, right? Now, listen. A Jewish wedding that lasts seven days... This guy knows that he's getting married when he RSVPs. It's not some random thing. And so to say, I just got married, is like saying, my other relationships are more important than you, Jesus. Like, Jesus, you wouldn't understand. Like, me and my wife just have this connection that's unbelievable. Friends, what excuses are you bringing to the banquet table right now? What excuses are you making for yourself? Because I know they sound really logical when we come up with them, don't they? And then if you were to write them down or even just think about them, you're like, how ridiculous do I sound? Friends, what excuses are you saying right now that sound like dirt is more important than you, Jesus? Dirt is more important than you, O King. Now this story gets better. Look at this. Verse 21. The servant came back and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. This is gorgeous. Because we think hey, God, uh, I'm not going to make it today. But I know you're a great God and you're just going to wait on me, right? Like you're just going to put the food in the fridge and wherever I'm ready for you, whenever I'm ready to wake up, whenever I'm ready to open my eyes, then you'll get all the food back out and you'll nuke it real good and we'll have a nice banquet. Don't you love that with you or without you, the banquet moves on? And in this case, it's symbolic of the Jewish nation. The Jews, the prominent, over and over and over we heard that the last will be first. And so now we see how that will play out. The Jews say no, and so Jesus says, go out and get the lame, the crippled, the blind, the exact same four that he's just talked about, and bring them in here because the food's hot and it's time to eat. Friends, there's some of you in here that are making excuses for yourself. I don't have time. And the most of all, you're not good enough. I've heard that excuse from Christians and non-Christians alike for my entire years of ministry. And whenever people tell me that, I say, you've just preached the gospel to yourself. Repent and be saved. You're not good enough. You'll never be clean enough and righteous enough to come to the banquet table. That's why He's invited you. Because He cleans you up. He washes your hands. He gets you ready to eat. And so if you're in here and for years, even as a Christian, you're struggling with this mentality 
that, that you still need to get righteous enough and you still need to get good enough, let me tell you something. It's all on His shoulders. His power. His cross. His gospel. And so what other excuse would you have? When would you ever look in the face of a king and say, no dice, I have better things to do. So, the poor and the crippled and the lame come in. And now we see why Jesus tells us to invite the poor and the crippled and the lame to our dinner table. Now we understand that when Jesus began this teaching about inviting the hurting and the lost and the confused to our dinner table, now we understand that when we do that in our life and in our experience, we're showing people the grace of God. We're revealing the Gospel. We're showing these have-nots who Jesus is by love. It's not some cool dandy thing that He just came up with one day. Here's what I'm going to make my Christians do. I just want them to invite the poor because that will look good to everyone else. No, it's to represent what He would do as God. That as a reflection of Him as Jesus, that we too could invite everyone to the meal and share with people the great Gospel where all who repent and be saved would be welcomed in. The outcasts, the wealthy, those that no one loves, the adulterer, the, the prostitute, the college student who's cheating every day. Through Christ, they can all eat and taste of the banquet. So for those of you guys earlier who were like, yeah, I just don't have time, that's okay. You're just robbing people the chance to see the gospel in your life. You're like, I don't know any homeless people. That's okay. Just continue to not extend yourself and meet people and live life with your eyes open because you're robbing people the opportunity to see the gospel even in your dinner table. Now for the Jews, and these people are Jews, like has been the case, the story goes to the next step. Verse 22, Sir, the servant said, What you, had, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Don't you love that? And, and again, I love that. For those of you guys who are struggling with hospitality, right? You're like, yeah, hey, yeah, okay, we'll have people over. Um, Heidi, what do you think? Can we have like one, two, right? Like, uh, what do you think? You know? No, no, no. Like, if you know anything about my house, it's like the more... I mean, Zelmer had like 45 in his live family this past Sunday. I mean, it's, it's just like open the doors, bring in the floodgates. I don't know what we're going to eat. Non some napkins. I don't care. You know what I mean? Fill it up. I mean, let's just do this. Why? Because when we, when we open our doors and when we just, we never shut it down, we just keep telling people like, we don't, we're not, like, just come on. There's no, why should we stop? Why should we pause? And don't you love this? The master comes back and says like, there's still room. There is still room. Like go, which gives you great indication that heaven will be full. Right? Full of those, like, and you're like, so how does that work? Like, does that mean that all will be saved? No. doesn't mean that. It means that heaven will be what it was supposed to be. And that those who will be saved will be saved. Those that were picked from the very beginning will be saved. Those who have repented and come to Jesus will be saved. Heaven will be what it was supposed to be. Therefore, it is full. So, 
in an allusion to the Gentiles. Listen to this. He goes on. So the servant said, oh, verse 23. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. If you're looking at the scripture and it says make them come in, you're like, so were they like, you know, like lassoing them up, you know? You picture like Tombstone, like, you know, Wyatt Earp riding on the horse and like lassoing people to come in. Here's the image. It has to be that because if there's a great banquet of a king, they'll never feel worthy to come in. They'll never feel worthy to even sit because culturally, our culture has told them that they're a have-not. You have nothing to give. You have nothing to offer, especially in this, in this uh, culture. If you had a disease or you are crippled, I mean, you weren't married most often. You, li- you lived on the outskirts in a cave. So Jesus says, make them come in so they feel welcomed. And all three examples, all three who gave excuses will not even get a taste of the feast in the kingdom of God. Will not even get a taste. Let's stand together. I'm tired of the pipe dream. I'm tired of coming together and encouraging one another with, with big Christian words. We're going we're gonna to love the hurting. Right, everybody? Come on. Let's give it up for that. Yeah. We're going to love the loss. All these words that we use. And we all walk out the door unchanged. Because we're arrogant, prideful, and I'm including myself in this mix. Not willing to self-sacrifice. Friends, listen to this. The last excuse that we would ever have, and it's a legitimate one, is that we haven't died to ourselves. We talked about it two weeks ago. We need to talk about it every week. When you die to your flesh, listen, and the Spirit of God is grabbing your heart and ripping it open before the cross of Christ, the Gospel just happens. You can't not invite the poor, crippled, and lame to your dinner table. You can't not do it. It's just a part of you. Because in humility, you want to show the world the grace of Christ. It just happens. It's pouring out of your soul. It's pouring out of your heart. It's not some Christian equation that we come up with and that we leave here wearing some bracelet. When we die to our flesh, church, the Gospel happens. And so my friends, I ask again, may we die tonight so that our lives and our homes and our dorm rooms and our cafeterias will be a reflection of the great feast and the kingdom of God. Die or die. There's no other option. God, I pray that our dining rooms will look different. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we are a complete reflection 
of your great kingdom. We're scared, to be honest. We're fearful. We don't know where to start hanging out to meet these people. We don't know how to start conversations. And so God, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit right now, for those individuals who have no idea who you are, I pray that their eyes would be open to your great invitation, that the excuses are gone, and that tonight they can say yes to relationship with you. And for those of us in here that claim Christianity, that claim to follow you, I pray that you will open the floodgates of your spirit in our life. That we will be empowered, that we will leave this place excited and passionate, ready to let the gospel just happen in our life. God, last of all tonight, um, we say that you're wonderful and that you're good and that we're grateful for the fact that we can never be good enough, that you wash us clean, that you wipe us clean. Let's worship him in response of a great God who calls us to reflect him by dying.